Curtis Blades and Alexa Grasso scored big finishes. Brian Barbarina inherited the throne from Matt Brown. Kai Kara France got the win he needed and a lot more went down in Columbus on Saturday night. It's Sunday, March 27th. I am E. Spencer Kite. These are the next day takeaways. Jumping right into it, Curtis Blades proved on Saturday night that there are levels to the UFC heavyweight division and that he is very much still a contender. That was something that was in question coming out of his loss to Derek Lewis last February. I think a lot of people decided that beating Jarzinho Rosenstroik was just a reminder of the level that, that Blades is at and maybe that Jarzinho isn't. But on Saturday night, he goes out and he puts on a terrific performance against Chris Dawkins, beating him on the feet, not needing to use any of his wrestling, knocking him out, stopping him at 17 seconds into the second round in an effort that feels to me like a reminder that this guy has to be considered in any conversations about what comes next in the heavyweight division. For all people want to say about the limitations of Dawkins or that he lost to Derek Lewis, the takeaway for me from Saturday night is that Curtis Blades continues to learn from those mistakes. It's something he and I talked about on Wednesday going into this fight. It's something they talked about on the broadcast where he had mentioned to his coaches and, and to the broadcast team in their fighter interview that he was really upset with himself in the Derek Lewis fight. That he went out there and after doing well in the first round with his striking, he committed to the wrestling so quickly in the second and, and felt like that was a mistake. We saw that change and that shift and that growth on Saturday. Goes out, eats a shot early from Chris Dawkins, but lands one of his own almost immediately in return that kind of sits Chris Dawkins down. And from that point forward, I felt Dawkins was a little bit hesitant, a little, a little aware of the power that Curtis Blades possesses. Then we see in, in the second round, Dawkins throws a, a looping right and, and Blades beats him to the punch, literally, um, and puts him down, gets the finish, gets a terrific victory. He is a guy to me, and we talked about this on the Severe MMA preview show on Thursday, that is probably destined to be the fourth or fifth best heavyweight in this division, where Dawkins is somebody that's going to be 8, 9, 10, 11 in, in that range. And so that played out on Saturday and fine. That can be kind of a reminder and that can be part of the conversation. But for me, Blades is also one of the few guys that I still think has that room to grow. Um, outside of the loss to Derek Lewis, the only other person to beat him is Francis Ngannou, the, the current champion. And a guy that I think everybody agrees is just an absolute monster to face in the octagon. And so when you have... Just those losses. And you have the victories that he has. And he has a very good resume. And we can argue about level of talent in the heavyweight division and all of those things. It's a very impressive resume given who he's able to fight and, and who has been put in front of him. And then to see that growth and to see that continued develop, development and to know that he has that wrestling in his back pocket whenever he needs it. It makes him a more interesting and a more intriguing fighter to me every time he steps out there. I have a lot of faith and trust and belief in the guys at, at Elevation Fight Team. I think they are a great coaching staff. I think Curtis Blades is someone that wants to continue to get better. We see that. His body has transformed since he's been in the UFC. His skills have clearly developed since he's been in the UFC. 
And he is going to be a guy that that needs to be involved in that. Whatever whatever's going to happen now that Francis Ngannou is out. He called for an interim title shot. I don't know if he gets it. He mentioned wanting to fight Stipe. He then talked at the post-fight press conference about Stipe lighting him up in some sparring sessions back in the day and, and wanting to get that back and that he would do better. I think that's a that's a really interesting angle, but I don't think it's a fight that Stipe is going to come back for. But whatever the UFC does, as they start pairing off these heavyweights and pairing off these athletes to move forward in this division in Francis Ngannou's stead while he is sidelined, Curtis Blades needs to be very much a part of that. Whether it's Tai Tuivasa, whether he can get that Stipe Miocic fight, whether he gets Cyril gone, whether he ends up with Tom Aspinall, whatever it is, whatever the permutations, he has to be included because he showed Saturday night that he has developed since that Derek Lewis fight. He has grown from that setback, and he continues to be a very dangerous presence in this division. Co-main event of the evening, Alexa Grasso goes out and gets an absolutely outstanding first-round submission win over Joanne Wood. Comes out, looks good on the feet early, ends up in in top position, but didn't like being there because Joanne Wood was active off her back. They get back up, exchanging blows, scramble ensues. Grasso with a a beautiful piece of transition grappling kind of catches Wood as she bounces off the fence, um, takes her back and sinks in the choke almost immediately, gets the finish. Huge victory for Alexa Grasso, who is now 3-0 at flyweight. And for me, should be next in line for whoever has the title coming out of the fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Tyler Santos. Now, obviously... If Tyler Santos goes out and gets a victory, that's going to change things because Valentina Shevchenko should absolutely get a rematch given the length of her reign and the dominance she's exhibited at the top of this division. But if Santos falls like everybody else has, if Shevchenko retains that title, I think Grasso is the right person to be next. And it's not just because, oh, she beat Joanne Wood in a co-main event because I don't think we need to continue doing the thing where you beat Joanne Wood and you get a title shot, as has happened for Lauren Murphy and Tyler Santos. The reason I think it makes the most sense is because Grasso is someone who is very established. She's someone that, that fans know, that has a following, that we've been waiting to see this progression. We've been waiting to see her get to this point since her days in Invicta when she was unde- when she came up undefeated and was winning fights and looked like a bona fide blue chip prospect. She struggled a little when she got to the UFC at straw weight. She had some problems making the weight. She's now 3-0 since moving up to flyweight and has looked terrific. This obviously her best performance of the three, but it's been a continuous build. The Gian Kim fight, she looked good. The Macy Barber fight, she looked great. This fight, she looked outstanding and she looks poised and ready to be a contender and, and get that shot that we kind of always envisioned for her. The other piece of it is that it allows fighters like Casey O'Neill, like Macy Barber, like Miranda Maverick, like Aaron Blanchfield, to continue to progress slowly and at a kind of more incremental pace. And even we'll we'll throw Menon Fiore in there and, and we'll talk about her a little bit later. But it allows those athletes that are still young, that are still very early in their UFC careers, to log more experience and to go out and get 
kind of these prove it wins that we'll talk about throughout this card and, and the necessity of those throughout this card. And I know that Casey O'Neill is coming off the win over Roxanne Modafari. And it was a good win to me, a clear victory. I still don't know how that was scored a split decision by one judge. But it's not a victory that for me yet tells me that Casey O'Neill is somebody that deserves to be fighting for the title. And I don't think if you ask Casey O'Neill, she would say she should be. I know she is tentatively booked against Jessica I, which I think is the, the perfect fight. Because it puts a couple more steps in front of her before she's in this position to face Valentina Shevchenko. And while we have somebody like Grosso who has that momentum, who has kind of that, that history with fans, that connection already with the audience and, and with MMA media for that matter, give her the opportunity, leave her as, as next in line, have her kind of wait, hang out, see what happens with that fight. And as she said on Saturday night at her press availability, if a fight for the championship comes together for the winter or the fall, it's a dream come true. Give her that opportunity, provided Valentina Shevchenko still has the title. And it allows the rest of the division the proper amount of time to marinate and continue to grow. Brian Barberina goes out, spoils the hometown homecoming of Matt Brown. Split decision victory. Fans booed. Lots of people disagreed on social media. I thought Bam Bam won the fight, really taking it in those last 10, 15 seconds where he poured it on and, and Brown was clearly wiped out. It was wild that, you know, that audience, and, and I get why that audience booed Brian Barberina. He just beat their hometown guy, but come on, fans. They, they put on a show. They laid it all out there, rightfully earning fight of the night. Give those guys their love. He didn't go as far as the the ally, infamous ally, Quintar, you booing me, which was great. He, he kept it classy, sung their praises, said he wanted to get home to the BAM fam. I wish him all the best with that. To me, the takeaway here, and, and it's something that I wrote about a little bit in the post-fight column about last night. Um, BAM BAM is, is a guy to me, and, and he and I talked about it a couple, couple months ago, back in December, ahead of his fight against Darian Weeks. He feels like a bit of the heir apparent here to Matt Brown. Like this feels like a bit of a passing of the torch. He is a hard-nosed, grimy, as he said in his post-fight interview. He likes to fight in the mud. I think the actual story we did was was titled something about lives Brian Barberina lives in the mud or something like that. He is designed for these fights. He loves these fights. He thrives in these fights, which is where Matt Brown has built his reputation. Now, Matt Brown went on couple good runs where he got close to contention and fought some bigger names that I don't know if Bam Bam gets there. Um, but he has fought some bigger names earlier in his career. Everybody needs to remember that fight against Vicente Luque a few years back was an absolute slobber knocker and a terrific fight that showed you the caliber that Brian Barberina is. I do think he's a guy that raises his game to the level of his competition at times. And I think this is a, a great performance to sort of Grab the grab the mantle that Matt Brown has had for the long longest period of time here, as he continues to move towards the end of of his career, and really set himself up and establish himself as I'm this guy that you're I'm I'm not an easy out for anybody. I'm not going away without a fight. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to hit you with a thousand shots. I'm going to take a thousand shots in return. And if you want to beat me and you want to move ahead of me in this pecking order, 
you're going to have to leave it all in here. And we need guys like that in every division. We need men and women like that in every division because they are so vital to figuring out and learning things about these different competitors. And it's going to be a theme I talk about throughout this episode. We need people like Brian Barbarina that are just tough outs and grimy, gritty fighters that make it hell on everybody that steps in the cage with them because that is where you find out the true level of some of these athletes that we are unsure about. The true level of some of these athletes that we project for great things. And, and at some point, they all need a fight like this. They all need, rather than just getting those favorable matchups and, and those stylistic wins, they need a fight like this. They need a guy like Brian Barberina. Every division needs their Brian Barberina that's going to draw it out of every up-and-comer and every hopeful looking to move forward in the division. This wasn't the case on Saturday, obviously, Matt Brown being a veteran. But to me, that's what it reaffirmed, is that Bam Bam can be that guy. Just outside of the top 15, fight anybody. he will fight anybody that the UFC puts in front of him. He's another one of those guys. And he's going to make it hell for anybody that steps in there with him. Happy to see him get a victory. Happy to see him healthy and continuing to compete. He had some very scary injuries over the last few years. So this was a great performance, even if the folks in Columbus didn't really appreciate it as much as they probably should have. Kaikara France goes out, gets a victory over Askar Askarov in a fight that I think a lot of people, myself included, believe had main event capabilities, maybe should have been a five-round fight. It wasn't, but Kai goes out and shows a good ability to sort of adjust. He spent that first round getting grappled, and through the second and third, deciding, you know, work, worked really hard to escape every grappling exchange, not take any, not allow Askar Askarov to build any momentum, to really draw out a lot of control time, and did the better of things on the feet. This again was another close fight. I don't have any problem if anybody says, well, I scored it for Askarov. I haven't watched it back yet. I probably will at some point. We might get a couple of rewatches this week just because there's no event coming up on Saturday. So it feels like a very good time to get back into some of these pivotal fights that have either happened already this year or that are influential to things coming up. So be on the lookout for that this week as I try to figure out stuff to do on the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. For me, this is another one of those instances where it's the right victory to elevate a fighter to a championship opportunity. I know that things are complicated at flyweight right now we saw henry cejudo jump out on davison figueredo's instagram or on his his twitter account on saturday and yes i believe it was henry or captain eric albaracine but probably henry just from the language of it saying some stuff about kai and you're next in line and brandon moreno can wait and he should fight this person and whatever 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 Regardless of that stuff, I think Kai becomes the person because you saw the way that that crowd in Columbus responded to Kai Kara France. Now, maybe that's because they're cheering specifically against the Russian guy, but I think it's more to do with the fact that Kai came in on a pair of hellacious first round knockout wins, one of which I'll get to in a second. I think it's the energy that he brings. I think it's the style of fighter that he is. And I think when you see that for someone from New Zealand, 
in, in Midwest Ohio, in, in the middle of the United States, you have to capitalize on it. He becomes a guy. And I'm not saying you put him in there ahead of Brandon Moreno, but you allow him to, one, be in the ready in case one of those guys has problems in the build-up to that fight. Have him make weight, have him go through camp, pay him, all of those things. Make sure that he is on point and ready to go if he needs to be tagged in. If he doesn't need to be tagged in, he fights the winner. Have that fight. I believe it's targeted for July. So you have that second championship fight targeted for somewhere in the end of the year, November, December, and you go from there. I don't think you can continue to ask these athletes like Kai Kara France to fight more people. He just beat an undefeated fighter who is ranked number two in the division. Number one is Brandon Moreno. You make that fourth fight with Davison Figueredo. Kai waits in the wings. He becomes the insurance policy. He sits tight and sees what's happened, sees what happens, and then goes from there. As for the other stuff, it's going to be interesting how this gets matched up. And there's some, some fights later on down the line that, that sort of help figure out things at the top of this division. It's wild to me sitting on Saturday and watching sort of the aftermath of this fight when a bunch of other contenders and competitors in the division decide to flex their Twitter Twitter fingers and tell everybody how things should be matched up. We saw Figueredo do it or the Figueredo account do it. We saw Manal Cop come out and do it. Um, interesting to me that, that neither of those people had any mention of Matoish Nikolaou, who we'll talk about in a little bit, or really anything much to say other than this is what I should get. And then we'll go from there. Now I understand everybody's going to act in their best self-interest and kind of line themselves up. And I understand the Figueredo power play and things of that nature. But to me, here's how it makes sense. You do the fourth fight. They're one, one, and one. It has to happen. Let's just get it behind us. After this one, they don't have to fight each other ever again unless it's another draw. Then we'll do a fifth one and it'll be terrific. And I love the chaos. You have Kai Karafranz waiting in the wings. And then everybody else you sort out as you go. Manel Kopp flexing the Twitter fingers and, and saying that he should be where he is. Brother man, you got a couple good wins. Sit tight. Get a couple more. You'll get there. If you're as good as you believe you are, and you are as good as Daniel Cormier always talks about you being, you will get there in due time, my good man. But for right now, this is Kai's moment. He deserves the opportunity to wait for this championship fight beating a guy like Askarov. The one little note, and I didn't tweet it out on Saturday because I didn't want to sound like an asshole on Twitter because I sound like an asshole on Twitter a lot, is that it had to be kind of kind of grueling to be Cody Garbrandt, Garbrandt sitting there first row, hometown guy, back in Columbus, and here are all of your people cheering loudly, passionately for a guy that beat your ass. Not that long ago. Had to be a weird feeling, right? Is it just me? Am I the only one that would feel that? Am I the only one that would sit there and be like, man, my folks love this dude that whipped my ass. I would have thought that him beating me would have had them against, would have had him against me. But I guess they like knockouts more than they like me. Moving on, we get Neil Magny, who does Neil Magny things. Survives a brutal first round. A bad first round, gets knocked down, gets looks like he's getting pieced up by Max Griffin, who comes out 
fighting really well. Um, wins a close split decision against Max Griffin, who acquitted himself nicely, showed that he is very much just on that fringe of the top 15. And, and another one of these guys like Bam Bam at welterweight that is just a perennial tough out and going to give you a hard night every time you're in there with him. But the takeaway for me is Neil Magny, who remains this stalwart, who remains this perfectly self-aware figure, both in the, in the division and, and on the roster as a whole. He tied George St. Pierre's record for the most welterweight wins on Saturday night. Both of them are even at 19. Obviously, GSP not competing any longer. So Magny will break that whenever he gets his hand raised the next time. And I know that the tendency is to say, well, George's victories were championship fights and bigger names. And all of those things are true and speak to the skill and talent and excellence of George St. Pierre. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to take away from Neil Magny. His successes and not being at George St. Pierre's level in terms of the the level he reached championship level and the competition he's faced doesn't have to be this demerit against him. Winning 19 fights over a career in the UFC is, is hard. Not a lot of guys have done it. Go to Fight Matrix and look up most wins in UFC history. It will tell you that Neil Magny is right up there near the top and will continue to be because he's 34 and shows no real signs of slowing down. He has been a guy that over the last four or five years has been a fixture in the top 10 in the welterweight division. And while we don't necessarily talk about it as the marquee division that it was at one point when GSP was dominating the division, when some of the biggest names in the sport were competing in that division, it's still, to me, one of the most consistently competitive divisions in the UFC. And if you look at Neil Magny's resume... The only guys that beat him are those upper echelon, top seven, eight, nine guys. And so if if that's the only person you're losing to, it's like I wrote about with Jeremy Stevens earlier in the year when he parted ways with the UFC. We have to give these athletes, like Stevens, like Magny, their recognition while they are here doing this instead of hustling to find ways to detract from them. Because what they're doing, while it may not be the thing that is generating headlines and it may not be the thing that's putting them in championship fights or even main event opportunities all that often it is damn difficult to do and if we don't appreciate that in the moment we're missing out like we spend all this time talking about the level of competition in the ufc and what it means to be a ufc fighter has gone down and all of these different things and yet we don't celebrate and appreciate these athletes that have been here for seven, eight, nine, ten years like Neil Magny has been, where he started 0-2 and he was at a point where he, you know, looked like he was probably going to be a quick exit from the UFC and has suddenly developed into this guy and is over time developed into this guy that is an absolute fixture in the top 10 of the welterweight division. Like he becomes that kind of bouncer at the at the front door of the club that decides whether you get to come in and if you get past him, you're in the top 10. This is what happens. Guys like that need to be celebrated. Men and women like that need to be celebrated and appreciated because it's hard to do this. It's hard to bounce back from getting dropped by Max Griffin and find your range and get back on your game and get back into it. We saw Max Griffin start fading 
in that fight, right? As soon as Magny starts building momentum, Max Griffin starts fading a little bit and that allows Magny right back into the fight and, and to get to this point where he earns the split decision win. It's difficult to do that and he has done that for his entire career. And so I just think that even, look, there's lots to talk about from this card. There's lots of takeaways. But for me, one of the big ones is that we need to appreciate people like Neil Magny. So now we get to Mark Giacchese, uh getting a victory over Slava Borchov. Um, it's a fight that, to me, a lot of people seemed really perplexed when Mark Giacchese came out and started grappling. For me, that was exactly what I expected. And yep, pat myself on the back here, wrote about it that way on the punch drunk predictions. More importantly, we broke it down this way on the Severe MMA podcast preview show. Um, my guy, Harry Powell, getting his first shout out of the episode, broke it down 100% this way. Spoke to the fact that Mark Giacchese is a very good grappler and it's a piece of his game that he thought he would rely on a great deal on Saturday. And as much as... I would love to just sit here and talk about Mark Casey and still 29 and still, as he said, feels of himself as a prospect and he's still on the come up, which I do think is true. And I do think he has a chance to start building again and, and gain some momentum. The bigger piece of this for me is that we really need to pump the brakes on these prospects and the way we talk about them after one victory and the way we favor them over established fighters after one or two or or four victories, and I'm going to lump in Carol Hosa and the fight with Sarah McMahon in here as well, because I feel like that's very similar. We get to a point with these prospects, and I, I understand it. I, I absolutely do. Somebody on the come up is always more interesting than somebody established. Somebody that is new and fresh and coming off a great performance always looks better than Mark Giacchese coming in off two straight losses and two and five in his last seven fights, or Sarah McMahon coming off a loss and perplexingly bad submission defense and inconsistency since that very early start of her career when she looked to be on the way towards being a long-term contender. But as much as they look good, it's about level of competition they've faced it's about when they faced those people. It's about the stylistic matchups of those fights. And we need to remember that just because Mark Giacchese's coming in off losses doesn't mean he is a bad fighter. It means he got beat by someone else that was better than him. And to me, both of those fights, and I picked both of those fights, and this isn't just about taking my victory lap for getting two upsets correct, even though I'm happy to get two upsets correct, I feel like we're at a point, and it's it's something that's strange to me, and, and specifically with Borchev, I talked about this year's Dana White's Contender Series class as being one that I wanted to take a lot of time with because they didn't have a ton of experience, because they hadn't fought a lot of great competition on the way up, and the few that had, or the few that truly showed, I've talked about them truly showing and, and being people that you can be in on early. Borchev wasn't one of those guys. We saw that on, on Saturday. The takedown defense just isn't there. And until that gets shored up, it's this is now the blueprint, right? Everybody that fights him is going to look to wrestle. Not everybody will be as successful. Mark Casey is better, a better grappler than people remember and a better grappler than a lot of people gave him credit for. 
And the same goes with Carol Hosa too, right? She made some IQ mistakes in that fight. Third round, she should have let Sarah McMahon up. I think she probably gets close to a finish, if not pulling out a draw in that third round if she makes Sarah McMahon stand up. But instead, she keeps going down to the ground with the Olympic wrestler who is able to tie her up and just kind of burn off clock without being in too much danger. And it's just a matter of, to me, both of those fights are pumping the brakes on these prospects, on these people. We, we're always in such a hurry to see these new names emerge and turn them into people of interest and people that we have to pay great attention to. And it's not that we can't pay attention to them, but it has to be moderated. It has to be modulated based out on who they've beaten, what they've done. This is why I always harp on results matter and who you fight matters. It's it's not just about, you know, as great as Slava Borchev's finish of, of Dakota Bush looked earlier this year. And it's a, it's a terrific body shot. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite stoppages of the year. He also got tagged in that fight and he got taken down pretty easily by a guy that, you know, probably isn't going to be in the UFC very much longer. So that's telling. Those are the things we have to also think about in addition to the beautiful left hand of the midsection that crumples him up. And I just think there are times where we get too far out in front of our skis with some of these prospects, with some of these emerging talents that we need or we want to become something in a division that we kind of overlook these veterans that have the savvy, that have the experience that have the more well-rounded game or the, just the more IQ to be able to go out and have performances like Mark Jacasey and like Sarah McMahon did on Saturday. Shift now to Chris Gutierrez, who gets the standout stoppage victory that he absolutely needed. This is a guy that came into the fight on a six-fight unbeaten streak, had won his last two, but had still been relegated to the preliminary portion of the card both because the competition he's faced kind of dictates. They weren't those top-tier guys. They weren't even really the mid-tier guys in the bantamweight division, which remains the best division in the UFC. But he gets this finish, the spinning back fist, against Bakary Dana. It's now seven fights undefeated. It's now three straight wins. And it is that highlight that you can play. And so for me, the takeaway is that Chris Gutierrez needs a main card opportunity and needs a fighter. I know he he had some names on Saturday. I don't know if he's close to getting those names. But he needs somebody in that 12 to 20 range in the division. And it needs to be a main card fight. We need to see now what this guy can do against that upper tier of talent in the bantamweight division. The division that I think is, is the most complete, deepest division in the UFC. Get him out there against a Cody Stamen. Get him out there against someone in that range, somebody of that caliber. I wouldn't even mind seeing him fight a guy like Adrian Yanez just to see which of these two tough sons of bitches moves forward because they're both unranked. They're both on nice runs. Yanez is looking for a fight. Gutierrez is always down for a fight. That feels like a, a reasonable matchup to me. But he needs an opportunity like that because as I say time and again, both on this podcast and in my writing, we can't squander these situations where athletes are building lengthy undefeated streaks and lengthy winning streaks and just consistently put them against mid-pack people 
and leave them on the prelims. And I know I'm the guy that wrote last week about card placement doesn't matter. That's in terms of talent. In terms of exposure, it, it certainly does. And and myself and Sean and Harry taped an episode of Speaker's Corner, which will be coming out to the, the Severe Patreon, which you should absolutely subscribe to a little later on, talking about these things, right? For me and for us as fans and us as media, where a fighter is doesn't dictate the quality of the fight or the skills they bring to the cage. But in terms of recognition for, for fans and audiences and perception, it certainly matters. And so a guy like Chris Gutierrez, who now has won three straight and is unbeaten in seven, he needs that main card opportunity. He is a perfect fighter to me to be the opening bout of one of these fight night shows in a fight like we talked about. And if it is somebody like Adrian Yanez that has a little bit of steam, that has a little bit of backing behind him and, and fan support behind him, you can move that further up the card. Like if that's third on a fight night from the top on a fight night show, that's a great place for both of them. It gets them that exposure. It probably puts them on the poster, or it should, because we should get more people on the posters. And it creates that situation where you get exposed to them and you get a chance to see them more. And even though guys like me will sit here and, and write on the newsletter all week that this is a fight you absolutely should pay attention to and Chris Gutierrez is better than you know, as is Batgirl Dana and all like that, there's still a lot of people that that look at things like card placement, that look at things like whether they're on the poster and that's how they dictate and determine whether they're going to follow a guy. And Chris Gutierrez now has that highlight reel win that should force people to pay attention, that should force the UFC to put him in prime real estate next time out. We get down to Ali Asab Hizrayev, somebody I was... I was really looking forward to seeing finally make his debut. Goes out, gets a second round submission win over Dennis Tilulin. This one for me, the only notes I have written down here on my on my notebook is go easy. Right? This this fits with the Slava Borchev. This fits with the Carol Hosa. This fits with everything, right? He goes out and gets a win over a short notice replacement who took the fight on a couple weeks' notice. Otherwise, wouldn't be in the UFC, wasn't on the, the radar, didn't, like, isn't a guy that was on the come up. He's 32 years old. His window was probably gone. And, and he jumped at the opportunity, rightfully so, gave it his all, got choked out. And here comes the floodgates afterwards. Oh, my God, he's going to go to welterweight and he's going to he be an absolute monster. What evidence do we have that... Ali Asab Hizrayev is, is going to be a monster at welterweight. Max Griffin can't break into the top 15 at welterweight, and, and we have loads of experience with him. We have one fight with Ali Asab Hizrayev in the UFC, and granted, he had a couple good wins before his contender series win, and he's finished a lot of guys quickly and early. And when I say good win, like I don't know how to rate a victory over Husamar Palharis in 20. I think it was 2017, maybe, or went over Eusebi and Enemoto at, at this point. Like, I don't know what those mean anymore, but I do know what performances in the octagon mean. And before anybody starts crowning this dude as a future monster and going to be an absolute killer at welterweight, let's one, see him make welterweight, two, see him beat somebody of substance. Like, it's okay 
to just decide we need more evidence. It's okay to decide we want to go easy with some of these athletes. It's okay to decide I'm excited, but not take it to the nth degree where we're instantly projecting them to be killers because everybody can't be a killer. Everybody can't be a contender. And it feels like this is, this is part of the cycle that happens, right? We get so excited about these newcomers because they have the great performance against this guy that they absolutely should throttle. And then they do. And then we say, look, they're going to be terrific. And then when they start fighting people of actual substance, they're not as terrific. And people abandon ship real quick. And in that, we're missing people that aren't as flashy, that aren't saying as much stuff, that aren't making these big moves and getting these big reactions from media and fans on, on Twitter and social media in general. And so let's just pump the brakes. Let's just, let's see what he does going forward. Let's see him over the next couple of months commit to a move to welterweight. Let's see who he gets matched up with next and how he looks in that fight. Because if it's another newcomer or somebody that's coming off a loss that has only a couple of fights in the UFC, that still doesn't tell me all that much. This is the Patty Pimblet thing all over again, right? His win over Kazula Vargas doesn't tell me much about Patty Pimblet in the lightweight division because I don't rate Kazula Vargas all that high. Same with the Vendramini win. Let me see him in there against somebody of substance, somebody whose level I know, whose level is established, who isn't coming off losses or isn't coming off their lone UFC victory. Let's take our time. It's okay to wait. There's a lot of depth in these division divisions. There's a lot of great fighters ahead of these people that everybody gets excited about on Saturday and then kind of forgets about by Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So let's let's wait and see with Hizriev. It was a terrific performance, but it's okay to take a breath and to let it breathe and to just see what happens going forward. Manel Fjord goes out on the prelims very early in the night, gets a victory over Jennifer Maya. It's a great victory for the Beast. It's, it's a great performance. We saw some different wrinkles to her game. The beautiful hip toss early in the fight, a little bit of ground control, a little bit of, of wrestling from the French kickboxer who we sort of pigeonholed initially as strictly a kickboxer, as strictly somebody that's going to come out here and throw kicks and throw hands and look to beat you up on the feet. It is a, I mean, it's a terrific win. It's, it's a victory over a former title contender. It's a victory over a divisional stalwart in Maya who is kind of held steady in that top three, top four range in the division. The only people that have beaten her were Caitlin Chukagian and Valentina Shevchenko within the last four years, Liz Karmouche beat her earlier in the UFC run. Fjord comes out and, and after the victory makes the right call out to me, calls out Caitlin Chukagian, and I absolutely love, this is one of those instances where I love understanding the situation, right? She understands the layout of the division. She understands where she's at on the fight card versus where Joanne Wood and Alexa Grosso are. She understands her level of exposure and popularity and kind of establishment with the fan base and that this is probably the first fight that's really going to put her over and put her on the radar and that she's then going to need another one. And the call out of Caitlin Chikagian is perfect because the only person that's beaten Caitlin Chikagian of late is Valentina Shevchenko. And Jessica Andrade, but Jessica Andrade is now out of the division and moving on to other things. Going back down to strawweight, has a main event coming up. Going to be a hell of a fight. Can't wait to see it on April 23rd. 
But this is the right move for Fjord, who continues to be somebody that to me is really intriguing. Um, I wrote about it and tweeted about it after the fight. She's only been fighting, she's only been a pro for five years. Like to be at this point after five years is really kind of not unprecedented because we we've seen it a little more as of late, but it's still not common. It's still not, you know, something that that's going to happen with multiple people every year, especially to this level, right? Especially to where she's probably going to be in the top five on Tuesday when the rankings update, take rankings for what they are. Um, this this just doesn't happen, right? And and she took a year off after her her debut loss to Leah McCourt. Um, so really, in in less than four years, she's gone. I think it's now ten and zero to move into top five, top seven range in the UFC with four straight victories in the UFC, and the last two being very very good victories, very quality victories that we know what they mean, that we know the substance of them. That's impressive, and we saw on Saturday that there's still more pieces that. We haven't seen and still more pieces that could be unlocked and kind of matched together to make even more of a dynamic game inside the cage. And in a division where we're constantly looking for competitors to face the great Valentina Shevchenko, it's great to have somebody like Fjord come along and get this win on Saturday and get these four straight victories since coming into the UFC, but then also understand I need one more, or maybe even two more, depending on how things shake out. It's great to have her. It's a great performance. It's a great call out. I love everything about it. This was just perfect. My only regret is that it was early in the fight card. It probably should have been later. Get a few more eyes on it, but that's fine. That's where we as media and we as fans can sing their praises and can get out there and and be focused on it and talk about it more because it deserves us talking about it. It was a a terrific performance from a very interesting, very intriguing fighter in my books. Which brings us to Matos Nikolaou, who gets a victory over David Dvorak. Um, There were moments of this fight that were very slow. The first round, very slow. Um, There were moments of this fight that were great. Matos Nikolaou hits him with a a perfect shot right on the forehead that just short circuits David Dvorak's brain, sends him scrambling. Oddly, Nikolaou decides to jump into the guard with him and, and probably waste the opportunity. But that part's neither here nor there. To me, the takeaway is that this kid deserves and has, has done enough to merit a top five opportunity. And the name I have written down here is Alexandre Pantoja. Pantoja was in place to fight for the title when Brandon Moreno defeated Davison Figueredo last year because Pantoja has fought Moreno twice, once in the Ultimate Fighter house or in the Ultimate Fighter competition, not in the house specifically, and then once in what turned out to be Brandon Moreno's last fight with the UFC when they were doing the whole flyweight purge, which, looking back, seems like just the most ridiculous thing in in the last five years in the UFC. He was ready to... He was in line. He He had earned a victory and turned around and asked Brandon Moreno politely, who was calling the fights for the Spanish broadcast team, we fought twice. I love you. I respect you. We're friends. Let's do this a third time. I'd love to face you, champ. And Moreno kind of agreed on the spot. And it was the direction they were going. And then Pantoja suffered a knee injury and he's been out ever since. As much as I think you could if you wanted to, if Brendan Moreno beats Davidson Figueredo, make the case for Pantoja 
still getting that next shot because that was the plan, right? There is precedent for this. We've seen this before. Guys like Rashad Evans come to mind. I think it makes more sense, and it is the wiser decision given how things played out on Saturday with Kai Kara France getting a win, given how things played out with Matos Nikolaou getting a win, to bring Pantoja back and put him into the mix again. I don't think you have to put multiple fights in between him and a championship opportunity, and that's why I like this, this fight with Nikolaou. Both these guys are on winning streaks. They haven't fought for the title. They're moving forward. Nikolaou needs a fight like this against a guy that's as experienced and is going to push him and is going to force him to fight as Pantoja will. Well, Pantoja needs to just get, get back in the mix, right? Just get back on the radar and just remind everybody of the quality that he is. And so to me, that fight lines up perfectly. You do it later this year, sometime in the summer, probably on a parallel with the Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo fight. Get it on that card even if you want to. Wouldn't be a bad idea. If they're doing International Fight Week with multiple events, get it that week so that you have these more of these athletes in town and available should something go sideways and we need replacements or things like that. But a great performance from Mateusz Nikolaou, who's now 6-1 and one in the UFC, doesn't get talked about enough. Some of that is because his style is frustrating. I said it during his fight. This is the way he fights. He lets guys come in and then looks for quick counters. Isn't as aggressive as you may want him to be. But he gets results and he continues stacking results. And this is three straight quality victories since coming back to the UFC. And definitely a guy that we should be paying attention to and, and should get that top five opportunity. Would love to see him get Alessandre Pantoja when he comes back. Opening bout of the night, Luis Saldana and Bruno Souza. Saldana is a weird dude to me. Like they they said it in the broadcast. The takeaway for me is that is that this is just there's you know this is just a fight. It's okay sometimes for there to be just a fight. Saldana is a weird dude. Calls him in and then starts backpedaling right away. He fights at times very timid and at times very confident. And the confident times he looks great. But the timid times, he looks like he wants no part of being in there. And so the interesting thing for me, and, and just keeping an eye on this guy, because he's had a good camp, he's had some good experience coming up, and his win on the Contender Series against Vincent Murdoch was a terrific performance, is just going to be, can you tap into that confidence more? Can you find a way to have him fight with that confidence and that forward pressure a little more early in fights, consistently in fights? Because when he's going forward and when he's throwing and when he's using his weapons and throwing combinations, he looks good. He's got range. He's got length. He's got some pop in his hands. But there's too many moments where he's moving back and he's calling guys in and putting his hands up and, you know, trying to egg somebody on but not doing anything. And so that's just the quick takeaway for that one. But a good fight, a good victory for Luis Saldana to get that victory and keep moving forward now in, in that division. As I said earlier, no fight coming up on Saturday to really preview, to jump into. So this week on the newsletter is going to be a lot of reflecting on Q1, looking ahead to Q2, uh, looking ahead to some of the fights in April that are com- April that are coming up, including our next one, which is the, the pay-per-view UFC 273 with Alexander Volkanovsky and Korean Zombie, and also Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan, both of which are phenomenal fights that I can't wait for. 
I will be plugging a bunch of severe stuff because I'm loving my time over there with those guys. I'll probably jump on for a podcast midweek just as an easy way to to knock something out and address whatever comes up in the MMA sphere this week in terms of news and announcements and goings on. But it's Sunday, which means it's time to go grab brunch and then it's time to go do some open houses because the house goes on the market tomorrow. Wish us luck. Next Sunday, I probably won't be here because I will need to clear out of my house so that everybody can come through and see how lovely it is and then make me offers to get on out of here. But for now, I want to say thank you as always for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the newsletter, for following the newsletter, for following me on Twitter at Spencer Kite, for following the Severe Boys that have been an absolute blessing and godsend to me over the last few months, Ian O'Neill, Sean Sheehan, Sean Denny, my guy Harry Powell, Andy Stevenson, Graham McDonald, the whole lot of them. Go follow all of them. I tweet out their names regularly, so just follow me and then you'll follow them. They're smart. They put out great content. It's varied. It's thoughtful. It's intelligent. They're all going to send me messages saying I'm too kind, but it's because they're great. Go follow them. Follow me. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Be good to one another and take care of yourselves. I love you. We'll see you next week.